Today is Wednesday, October 24th, 2018. Tonight's message is unfinished business, men to the maximum. We're going to be starting in Nehemiah 2.11. I've always been an NIV person my entire life, and in more recent years I've shifted to the NASB, so sorry, sorry about that. So Nehemiah 2.11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night, and I had a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were consumed by fire." Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate and again returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. I also take great comfort tonight that I'm going to be talking about an element that I'm very, very familiar with. In this book of Nehemiah, we find and we hear about a work that's been commenced. It's not a new work, it's an old work. It's a rebuilding. And what's very interesting, this work that's being carried out, it's a repair job. It's a repair job of something that was incredible. It was the holy city of God. It had become broken down over the years. Right? Invaders had come and tore it down. This word repair was used 35 times in this one single book. And, you know, as we always do, we always want to unpack this thing. We always go back to the Hebrew and look at it. And I was really surprised by the Hebrew word. Not really surprised, but actually delighted. The word that's used here is kazak. Right? Kazak. Strength. Strong. I want to highlight something to you because I'm not going to bring an old word to you. I'm going to bring something that's relevant, something that God is teaching me and I want to expound on. The word kazak is definitely being strong. It's definitely courageous. But there's another element that we can find here. This is the Strong's lexicon in the yellow highlight. There's some words there. Strengthen, cure. Help, repair, and fortify. I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've never looked at that word quite like that before. We're talking about something that's already been built and has been broken down. So we're talking about building up and fixing an existing structure. I have a lot of experience at this. You know, and so it's easy to talk about when we put things into this context of construction. And I'm just thankful that, yeah, I can talk to you about that tonight. You know, I have run lots of different construction projects, little, big. Charlie, and, and what's so cool is I, I know I'm not the only one. There's so many competent men out there. I look out there and see so many different men that are, that are capable of, of building and making things. And, I mean, I just look out there and see peers. You know, I, I don't look at myself as any more accomplished than, than anyone else. But there's an element here that I really want to develop and spend some time in. 
when it comes to construction, all you men that have ever built anything, that have ever partnered with men that have renovated a bathroom, renovated a kitchen, a home. I mean, I, I, I should, I, I'm, I'm expecting to see a lot of nodding heads. I mean, you, you've, you, you've, you've played some role in that. And when it comes to construction, any of these men that, that, are, that are, you know, masters at construction and running these types of projects, you know, Charlie, uh, Eric, Matt, JJ, all work can be defined usually into two categories. There's new work, which is always a glorious thing. Right? You've got, you've got time to design. You've got time to raise the money. You've got all kinds of things in your favor. And then the other category is old work. And I tell you what, old work, it is, it is a very difficult thing. And unless you know what I'm talking about, words just cannot describe just difficult remodel projects. And so that's how I want to relate this to you tonight. You know, the city of God had become overrun and desolate the, 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 the city's people had been taken captive. And then after a period of time, we know there was a first wave. We read about in Ezra, Zerubbabel comes and begins to do the new work of rebuilding the temple. And for the most part, we, it, it's not a new work, but in this case, it really was a new work because they laid a new foundation. I mean, it was completely destroyed. They came in and laid a foundation and built it up, and they worked and they worked. It's an amazing thing if you're into construction to see something come to life, something being breathed to life. What was nothing becomes something. There's substance to it. There's walls. There's windows. There's doors. When something begins to take shape and you're a part of that, it, it's, it's an amazing feeling to have. Amen. And so they constructed this temple. And somehow along the way, the work, the entire work of the entire city was not complete. The temple was built up. The priests were serving. They were making sacrifice. Things were good again, right? But the reality of the situation was that the city was not complete. The walls were not completed. My wife's birthday's in July. I wanted to make a, I mean, really, really special. I want to do something very special for my wife. And being a man of construction. My wife has always told me, if I could just have bubbles in my bath. If there was some way to have heat and bubbles And as a man, of course there is. So I took on a project for my wife. We ripped out a beautiful garden tub in our master bath. The Lord did provide. He did make provision. Someone gave me a, uh, a jacuzzi hot tub that was the exact dimensions. Right? That's pretty cool. Yeah. My boss was getting rid of this thing, and he's like, just get rid of it. Call someone at your church and just get rid of it. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I told my wife, why don't you put it on Facebook? Uh, see if anybody wants a hot tub. And she just gave me that look. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I know somebody. <laughs> so I commenced this work project, right? It was going to be an upgrade. It was going to be an amazing upgrade. We were going to go from just a calm, static tub to one that had jets, power, suction, and all kinds of stuff. I promised my wife, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm not usually in, in, in the habit of lying. <laughs> I, I honestly was overzealous. 
I mean, I, have, I promise you, I, I've, I don't know how many bathrooms I've remodeled in my life, but it's many. Yeah. I, I mean, I've done stuff like this so many times. And I, I told my wife all I needed was a weekend. <laughs> I said, I can do it. Two days, two full long days, maybe a couple young men. And, uh, and so I got the blessing, and I wrecked that bathroom. And, oh, man. See, then you're committed. Once, you, once, once it's broken down, <laughs> you, you, you've committed yourself. So I, I was committed. The whole time my wife is, you really should call somebody. <laughs> I mean, we got into a terrible fight over it. I will not call anybody. I've got this. I called somebody. Thank you, Andrew Hayes. I spent, I don't know, a better part of three days just getting the tub out of that bathroom. I got it out. We got the new tub set, and I don't know, probably on the fourth day. And then, you know, tiredness set in, you know, working full time and, you know, whatnot. And anyhow, the project kind of stalled out a little bit. And (laughs) my wife would come in after a long day, and she would encourage me. Lord, when, honey, when, when is this going to be done? Could I please just have maybe the water running? <laughs> I, I know that everyone is laughing tonight, but I mean, this is, I know it's not just my story because I, I told you I'm going I'm to speak out of just my life and what, what the Lord is doing. The Lord has been absolutely renovating my life. It's not been a weekend job by no means. We've got some time invested. But praise God, the work continued, but it, it, it certainly stalled out, and it had taken a lot longer than, than I had ever hoped. Uh, did I tell you my wife's birthday is in July? <laughs> this last Saturday, I finished the sheetrock. I got it all floated out. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But uh, anyway, so I'm just speaking from my experience. When it comes to these remodel projects, I'm speaking from a project that is currently, you know, active in my home. This is something, this is an animal that I have right now. I'm engaged with this thing. And uh, my goodness. And as I'm thinking about this word, I'm thinking about Nehemiah coming back. He spends three days looking over the city, taking a rightful assessment. Boy, if there's any project managers out there, you know, when you guys are going out there and, and looking at a, a job, man, you got to assess. Man, you got you to gotta know what you're dealing with, what's behind this wall. You know, we got, uh, you know, do we have PVC plumbing? You know, is this galvanized? You know, what do we have here? This couldn't be cast iron pipes still in here, is it? Nehemiah is touring the town, and he comes back after three days, and he addresses the men of the city, and, and the word is bad, right? I mean, on one hand, you know, you can look at the positive side. The temple's built. You know, there's a certain amount of restoration that's been done. There's a work of the Lord that's been accomplished to, to a certain degree, you know, my wife's tub was in, it had water, it had bubbles, but it was by no means finished. And uh, what the scripture says here is that they were a reproach. They had become a reproach because of that. They had this work that had been commissioned by God. I mean, this was so much more important than, you know, bubbles for my wife. I mean, this was the very holy place of God. This is where the presence of God would dwell it had been designed in heaven, and it was to be carried out in the smallest, most minute detail. 
And they didn't complete it. It was left undone. It was a reproach is what the NASB says. And, you know, I'm looking backwards, forwards, every different angle at this reproach. And, and every which way, it's the same thing. The only thing that, that my mind wraps around, that it, it was an embarrassment. In the same way, my bathroom, as long as no one's at my house, as long as no one is aware of the situation, it's just me and my wife. My wife, I know she's very gracious and she's not on my case about it. But every now and then, someone like Andrew or somebody that knew that I had this project, they'll ask me, hey, how did that project go? And I mean, really, it's, 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 it's embarrassing to think there was a job and, you know, I had promised certain things. There were certain expectations. There was a design that was meant to be filled, and yet... The state is undone. It's incomplete. It's functional, but it's not whole. It was a sad state. They were an embarrassment to the whole world. The people of God were meant to be the centerpiece, the the eye of God's eye, the the, the center of his eye, the the apple of his eye. And then here they're, they're almost a laughingstock. The best that God has is a broken down city. So Nehemiah goes and he rightly assesses the situation. Hey guys, it's bad. He's not looking at what might be okay and looking at the bright side. There's no sandwich here. It's all bad news. It's so important when we're dealing with our lives, when we're dealing with works of the Lord, when we're dealing with the house of the Lord, we're talking about such important things, it's important that we're rightly assessing things. As I'm just thinking and contemplating, because really the bathroom, that you know, I talk about it because it's relevant. It's, it's just, I mean, it's the first thing my mind went to. But even on this little level, it, what an embarrassment. Can you imagine the state of the people of God, the city of God. When in Nehemiah 1, when, when he had heard about it, he hadn't even seen it. He just heard reports from his brothers. His kinsmen had brought back reports. He wept and cried. He repented, not for his sin. He repented for the sin of the people. He repented for, on their behalf, you know, I told you I'm preaching to myself tonight, so this is, this is my story. You know, I had left many works undone in my life. There was a calling. Pastor Eric talked about it. I knew there was a calling in my life. It had become broken down. It had been neglected. We had, I mean, we've had a mezuzah for some time now. I mean, a good mezuzah is to perform acts of service. When we got that, it was, it was just like, yes, yes. Amen. But see, finding, finding your mezuzah, finding your call, that's, that's just such a small part of it. Because then you spend the rest of your life walking it out, doing it. My, my, so I had a mezuzah. That was not, it was not like I didn't know. But it had been neglected. You know, I had poured myself into a business. The sad shame is I didn't have time to be service, of, of any service to anybody. Just trying to make payroll for my guys. I'd made so many promises right here at this altar. I'd made so many promises to my wife. One more week, one more month, we're going to get this right. It's going to be better. I'd promised my children. <laughs> it's a bad season, it's a bad time, but surely things will get better. But the reality, see, I wasn't rightly assessing things in my life. Things had become, in, had become broken down, neglected. 
And the reality really was that I had become okay with it. You think, how, how does a bathroom get left undone for months? Our master bathroom. It's not like a basement. Right? It's not an unused bathroom. This is a bathroom that I see every stinking morning. Every morning. Yeah, it bothered me in the beginning. You know? But at some point, it ceased to really bother me. I could go in there, get ready, get dressed. Didn't even phase me. Ah. Next weekend, I'm going to put it on the schedule. We're going to make some progress. It'll be all right. One day, two days, one week, two weeks, three weeks. I mean, months have passed. You know, when I was telling my wife about this, I mean, and, and she, I mean, I'm confessing this to her. I mean, she knows it's true because we're, we're sharing the same bathroom, right? This is all right in front of us. But I'm confessing this. And w- w- one of the things that came to my mind, when w- I, I, met, I met these guys in Mexico. And when we first started doing ministry there, the place where we always ended up was at the dump, right? And here it is, a landfill, a huge, huge landfill. And basically you had people that, that, that worked and lived and just their, their life was just in the dump, on the dump. And the amazing thing was, when we first would get there, you know, there was odors that you would smell. And then by the end of the day, you wouldn't smell anymore. You, you, would, become, you would become accustomed to odors, what, 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 what would be an assault on your senses in the very beginning would later become not even noticeable. And see, sin is the same way. Sin, complacency, it sets in just little by little. And so in Nehemiah's time, they had become somewhat accomplished in carrying out the orders and decrees of the Lord But somehow the project had become stalled out for whatever reason. I mean, we can I can tell you, you know, there's there's some there's probably some really good reasons. I mean, they ran out of resources. I can tell you right now, if if you ever been uh, working a a project resources, just trying to find the right materials, trying to find the right labors. My God, it's so hard to find the right people. I mean, these are these are men. And women and children, they've been in exile, right? And they come back. They're, they're not equipped to carry on such an enormous task. They did their best, and they were okay with it. But the fact is, the city of God was broken down, and God was not pleased, and he sent Nehemiah. And what he did... I told the pastor, I was trying to think of a, an easier way to say this, but when I read this, what he, what he did, I don't know how to, you know, the nicer way to, he shamed the men of God. He went up there and spoke to them, and he made them realize their awful state. They had become complacent, and they had become blinded. Their senses had become blind to the reality that was right in front of them. God had given them a cause. He had given them and commissioned them to do a work. And it was unfinished. It was incomplete. Nehemiah went in there, spoke the truth, right? And the whole point of that is you've got to have a right assessment. Before you can move forward with rebuilding, my God, you got to know exactly what you're working with. These men had to be awakened. They were asleep. They had to be stirred. They had to be roused. One of the, the foremost things that I saw in this passage 
is, is in which the method that they begin the rebuilding. As Nehemiah went in and encouraged men of God, you can do this. God has stirred Nehemiah and he goes and stirs the men. Nehemiah alone cannot do the work. He needs an army of workers. The kingdom works the same way. It's no different. The work of God, it goes forth on the shoulders of men. The men have to rise and they have to do the work of God. Otherwise, the kingdom of God remains broken down. It is unfinished. The kingdom of God today needs the men and women in this church. Nehemiah 3.10 says, Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harumpiah, made repairs opposite his house. Verse 23 says, After them, Benjamin and Hasub carried out repairs in front of their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his house. Verse 28, Above the horse gate, the priest carried out repairs each in front of his house. Do you see a pattern that's laid out? The way this work was carried out is that each man was, was stirred by the man of God. And they all went back home and began the repairs at home. Like I said, I'm preaching to myself tonight. As God began to stir me and begin to share with me the state of my life, the first thing that I had to do was I had to get back Home and start working. Amen. The work always starts at home. Yeah. Men always, always, always. There's something else to, to note in this. I've worked many large construction projects. There's, there's, a, there's a huge difference between a, a project that, that's $10 million dollars might be hundreds of thousands of square feet, many floors, thousands of men versus a small custom home that might just be a few men working. The, 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 the dynamics are, are so different. There's a dynamic when you're with a large group. There's a, there's a, um, there's a thing that happens... And it's called laziness, right? <laughs> laziness can hide on large jobs. Many, many mistakes are made on large jobs. And they, they don't find them to the end. You know, there's a punch list and it's long. But on these large jobs, people can hide. People can be irresponsible with their time. They can make mistakes and nobody owns up to it. Nobody fesses up to it. The one neat aspect about this pattern that we're seeing here, every man goes home and begins working right there, the wall right next to their home. And so what that does is your work is on display for everyone to see. I promise you, They won't be cutting corners. You'll be building with all of your might. You'll be building with the finest tools that you can find, the best materials. I mean, you're not going to leave anything undone. It's going to be the best that you can provide. It'll be an honor. It'll be a badge. The next... next item that I, I took note of and I'm probably more inspired by this next part than anything. The note that I, I put here is that the men that carried out the work, they were ordinary men. Yeah. They were ordinary men. Nehemiah 3.8 says, next to him, Aziel, the son of Hariah, He was of the goldsmiths. He made the repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, 
one of the perfumers, he made the repairs. And after him, Makijah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants. Then it speaks of merchants. I mean, these were just common people. Not in any of these accounts did I ever read of craftsmen. These were not trained, skilled craftsmen. These were just regular people. They rose to the call and God equipped them. And what they accomplished was phenomenal. What had been broken down for years and years and years was completed in 52 days. One thing to note about a wall, it's not quite like a building. Not quite like my bathroom either. A wall is almost like a chain. There's links in it. And for a wall, I mean, you, it's, it can't be undone. A wall is pointless if it's not complete. Yeah. So when you go to construct a wall, right, it has to be complete. It has to be fit, fitted together tightly. It has to be constructed in a way that it's effective. So important. You know, I, I look out in this church and I, I see so many fine men. You know, I, I see Tom, the roofer. I see J.J. Moloch, project manager. Ray, the recruiter. Amabola, Justin, engineers. I see regular people. Regular people. The next aspect that I want to mention, and it's worthy of mentioning, it's in Nehemiah 3.12. It says, Next to him, Shalim, the son of Holihesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. My wife pointed that out to me. Thank you, baby. And, and I don't mean that just kind of as, as an afterthought. I mean, really, understand the pattern here of rebuilding, the pattern that Nehemiah is setting forth. It's a family affair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It starts with the men. Oh, yeah. The men, they may shoulder the burden of it, but you know what? It's a family affair. It's important that wives, that they're working alongside their husbands, yeah. whatever they're doing, whatever their calling is, Amen. the men need their husbands, the, the husbands need their wives. Yes. It's a partnership. Amen. It's very important. I look out there, I see so many women doing it well. The pastor's wives, Jennifer Stevens. We have these women that are being held in high regard, showing us how it's to be done. And then we have the younger aspiring women that are following in their footsteps. Joyce, I know you want to aspire to be like Jen. I know you do. We have Cassidy Piro showing us exactly what it means to be an easier for her man. Caitlin, I know... It's inspiring to you. I know that you want to follow in those footsteps. One thing I love about my family, and if you haven't noticed, we love to serve. Yeah. We love to serve, and it's, it's always a family affair. Yeah. And, uh, and for that, I'm truly grateful and amazed. Yes. To be on a work project, it don't matter what it is. We'll be building a fence. My four-year-old's right next to me, handing me nail guns. Here you go, Daddy. <laughs> DJ, running lumber. My wife right there, honey, what can I do? What do you need? I mean, really, it's a family affair. When we're carrying out the call of God in our lives, it's a family affair. It's not a one-man show. 
I want to look at Nehemiah 2.18. I so badly wanted to use the OJB. Spencer, where are you? Spencer's not even here. God, I wanted to, I tried to use it. And I couldn't pronounce half the words, so I, so I went to the uh, HRB, the Hebraic Roots Bible. And the reason I chose it, because in the way that it relates to this passage, Nehemiah 2.18, it reads, Then I told them of the hand of my Elohim, which was good on me, and also the king's words, and he had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they made their hands strong for good. Amen. Something just it feels good when I say that. There's a work at hand, and it's a difficult work, right? It's been stalled out for many years. There are many difficult obstacles that has prevented these men, the people, from accomplishing this thing. It's a real difficult thing that's ahead of them. They had just been shamed by the prophet, by Nehemiah. They've been shamed and they responded rightly. They responded rightly and they said, let us rise up. And they strengthened their hands for the good work. That is so good. So as I'm going through the checklist of this. It's so important to to get it right. I realize I had gotten it wrong and I am just so thankful today for for pastors. I'm so thankful that there's Nehemiah-like pastors in here that they rightly assess and they might grab hold of you and what are you doing? What have you done? You've lost your luster. You have lost your zeal. You're not running quite with the same intensity. Things are stagnant. Rise up. You can do this. Man of God, rise up. I'm so thankful that we have pastors that have answered that call and that go out and inspire other men in here to rise up to their calling. To get things right, it always, always starts with repentance. See, the problem with with Jerusalem at this time is that it was in a broken down state and the people were okay with it. I was in a broken down state in my life and I was all right with it. I was okay. There was no tears. I was not shedding any tears. But when I had the pastors think God come and grab hold of me and, and shake me awake. And when I was awakened, oh, and I realized the state that my life had become broken down. I had to start where we all start. It's in repentance. Nehemiah, before he commissioned any work, he had to go and cry out to the one that he knew could fix the thing that was broken. Repentance always precedes power. Repentance always precedes strength. Men, don't ever forget that. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him is sin. Really changes things when you look at that perspective. Because we're talking about things that are left undone, things that you haven't done. God, it's so easy to think about sin as being things that you do. And God is more concerned about the things that you're not doing, the things that are not complete. The heart of God is to always complete the thing. The thing in hand must be finished. 
the people of God were an embarrassment. And when they realized it, they had to repent. They had to make it right. And then the very next thing is they had to rise. They had to rise and they had to strengthen their hands and they had to get to the good work. There was a lot of work to be done. But it was good work. When I was thinking of this message, this word that the Lord was just been working in, this is not just a one day message, this has been working in me for 10 months. This is a culmination of 10 months and just working and working and working, working until I get it right, working until I see results, until I see movement. I think of this Revelation 3 1. It kind of gave. Shed some new light on it. Revelations 3.1 reads, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. You've got some things that are right. You've got some things that you've completed. You've got a few edifices in your life That you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the thing that remains, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in my sight. People, I mean, this has wrecked me. To think in my life I had come so far, I had done, I have done some things, nothing, maybe nothing compared to some people, but I, I, had, I had accomplished some things. I, I had done some good things. Maybe worthy of, I don't know, something. But the work that God had started me was so far from being done. It was, it was incomplete and God was so displeased. And when, when you realize this, all you can do is weep. All you can do is weep. When you realize something that God desires is not complete and it's an embarrassment to Him. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself. This is, this is my story. At the same time, I'm hoping that someone out there can identify with what I'm talking about. Something that you promised to Him years ago. Last week, I don't know, you promised something down here. He moved on your heart. He's been gracious. He, he, he made something... He highlighted something to your life and you, and, and you, you rose up and I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do better. I'm going to strengthen this thing. And time has passed and, and it's not as important to you anymore. And you just got used to it. And it's not even a problem for you anymore. But God, it's, it's a problem. You committed to a thing and it's undone. It's unfinished. And you're embarrassing his name. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself tonight. This is a real reality check. It's a gut check. We're talking about making this thing right. Because there's hope tonight. There's hope tonight for you. If there's... If there's Areas in your life that are broken down. There's areas in your life that are desolate. There's hope for you tonight. There is. Starts with repentance. The next element that I would have to. Has to be just as important. Involves this word. Kazakh. Be strong. When God commissioned Joshua. Those were the very words that he used. And it's interesting to see that in those words, God commanded that he be strong. It was not, it was not highly suggested. It was not, it was not even one, hey, this will be very helpful to you.
A lot of translations read it in such a way that you've got to be strong, courageous, so that you can follow my commands. Without being strong, courageous, you don't even stand a chance of being obedient and completing the task that he's put in front of you. He told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And at the same time, he's promising that he's going to be with them. Whatever lack that he has, whatever inabilities, whatever fears, whatever he comes against, God is going to step in and fill that vacancy. God always requires us to act on faithful obedience. I want to look at a passage in Joshua, Joshua 1.7. I've been talking about it. It's very... It's very familiar to us. The words that I'm talking about, being strong and courageous, we sing about it. It's very commonplace. It's nothing new. But I want to shed some new light on it tonight. Be strong and very courageous. I want to look at the Septuagint. I read this in the Septuagint, and it, it read, it, it, was so, it was so different. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen or heard before, and I want to share that with you tonight. The English translation of the Septuagint of Joshua 1.7, it says and reads this way, Be strong, therefore, and quit thyself like a man. Yeah. I know. I know. You're like, what does that mean? <laughs> yes. And let me tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expound on this. Amen. And you're going to know exactly what it means to quit like a man. And to have a better understanding, we'll look at the, the Greek word that, that is used for this. It's the Greek 407. And me. I'm so sorry, guys. And me. This is the Strong's lexicon. We highlighted the definition there in yellow. The first definition says to act manly. Quit like men. I want to move right to the word study lexicon. We have highlighted in the blue to behave oneself with the wisdom and courage of a man as opposed to a babe or a child in Christ. And then if you would go down to the bottom there, the antonym, the opposite of this word that's being commanded of Joshua is to be or act as a baby. That's a good word. I mean, that's a tough word. That's a tough word. Because what it sounds like to me is, God is telling Joshua, don't be a baby, be a man. Not just be a man. And we're going to talk more about it, look at this some more. But it's be man to the fullest. Because quit is not a common word that we use like this. And so I had to go back to the Webster 1828 edition to find a definition that was relevant. Amen. So for this word quit, the definition number three is to carry through, to do or perform something to the end. Complete. So that nothing remains to discharge or perform completely. Yes. You hear what I'm saying? Joshua is being commanded to be a man and completely, completely complete the task. 
And then the fourth definition, to quit oneself reciprocally, to clear oneself of incumbent duties by full performance. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, there's something about being strong, but there's something the way that reads. It's just a little bit more. Being a man in full performance. Being a man fully. I'm preaching to myself tonight. There was a, uh, a translation that reads the Joshua 1.7, and I just have to read it because it was so good. It's the James Moffat Bible, Joshua 1.7. It says, play the man to the fullest. And that should be encouraging to you tonight. Man. God has put something inside of you that's not ever supposed to quit. God has put this innate ability in you to bear weight, to do work, to handle stress, to manage work projects. I mean, it's in your DNA. And God is calling us to do it and realize it completely, fully, all the way. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. The same word, the same Greek word is used here in the New Testament. This is the New American Standard. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Some of you guys are really liking the New American Standard tonight, huh? Act like men. I know you've heard that a lot, but I bet you never knew it was right there in Scripture. But there's just an element of it's required. It's necessary. God has built us this way because it's needed to get the job done. The King James, the King Jimmy... I had to throw this in here because it's good too. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, King James. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Yeah, it's kind of an archaic phrase and term, but I hope you're getting and tracking with me. This is about being strong, but it's to the fullest, to the maximum, more than you ever dreamed possible. It's a requirement to Joshua that he stand up in the strength that's in his DNA, that's in his God-given ability. It's already there. He's saying, just be it. Do it. The same calls on us, men. Amen. Stand up. Strengthen your hands tonight. We've got work ahead of us. And I can tell you right now, because I'm preaching to myself, it's so easy in moments. You're looking ahead at the task. You're looking at the project. It's like, how are we ever going to do this? It's enormous. I'm not trained for this. It's impossible. But, you know, my mind goes to Gideon. Gideon said the same thing. I'm the weakest of the clan. I can't do this. The amazing thing is the angel replied, whatever strength you have, right? Whatever you have, go in the strength you have. It's enough. I'm telling you, men, tonight, whatever strength you have, it's enough. And the reason it's enough because God comes in and fills the lack Whatever is necessary, whatever the extra umph you need, he's there and he'll give it to you. But he always requires you to step out in faith, strengthen your hands and get to the good work.
there's an element in this kazakh, this strength we talked about, we highlighted in the beginning. There's an element of being strong. Joshua, just be strong. Be a man. And there's also, at the same time, there's an element of this word where it's, it's actually strengthening. There's a process at the same time that is fortifying, yeah. making strong. Yeah. It's curing. It's fixing. Making better. And what I have found in my own personal life is that when I step out, I rise up to the occasion and I step out and begin the work. I find in that moment, not before, not a minute before, but in the moment when I'm putting my hand to the plow, when I'm putting my hand to being a leader in my home, being a leader at work, I find in that moment that he is strengthening me. I, in that moment, I am being made strong. Because there's lack. I'm taking whatever I've got. And he is coming in. And he's bolstering. He's making it better. Making it stronger. And with his help, it's enough. Amen. I can't say this enough. There is strength in doing the work. It's hard not to come back to this bathroom, right? I got this, I got this project, and I, did, I, I worked on it Saturday. God, it was, it's, you've got this task, and it's just, oh. And I just had to suck it up, to be honest with you. It's just like, oh, I just got to get in there and do it. I just got to get in there and do it. I need to do it. I'm not even going to leave an option. It has to. To be done. There is no other easier way. There is no other path. This is the one. I've got to do it. And as soon as I pick up those sanding discs. As soon as I pick up those trowels. God is strengthening. And I'm being made strong. There's just something about putting your hand to the good work and being made strong in that moment. Stepping out in faith. I told the pastors, uh, I, I, I was thinking of uh, Brandon, he, somewhat of a, a movie buff. I don't know, maybe or not. Seems like it. Uh, Indiana Jones. I don't know why it's always, some certain things have always kind of stuck in my head. Indiana Jones, there was a, I don't even remember which one, Brandon, you can, you can pick it out. But he had to perform these series of tasks to get to the treasure, right? And one of the tasks was, it was entitled Leap of Faith, right? And, the, and, and what it was, he, he's, I don't know, he's in some kind of cave, some kind of cavern. And he's on the edge, a precipice, if you will. And he's looking down and it's so deep and dark, he can't even see the bottom. And he just keeps looking at this Leap of Faith, and he's looking down and he knows in his mind what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to take that leap of faith. That's what is being instructed to him. And I, I remember in that he, he finally just, what the heck, and just leaps out. And it's so cool when he leaps out and as soon as his foot comes down, it lands on something. And then he's almost startled. And when he's, he's in a better position now and he looks down, there's these little thin slivers of rock that kind of blended into the other rock. And so he didn't see it there. So when he stepped out and took that leap of faith, something caught him. And so I've always, I mean, that, that is faith. I mean, that is like a, a, I'm a very visual person. God is always asking you to jump off into nothing. That's what it looks like. You're looking to jump into the impossible. There is no way we can do this. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. The work is too great. And God says, go. Men of Judah, rise.
Gideon took whatever strength he had and he went and God did the work. God did the work. But don't you see if Gideon wouldn't have went, nothing would have got done. God always requires us to go and do the work. And he'll go with us just like he promised Joshua. He'll go with us. Esther 4.16, you'll have to pull that up. Awesome. Esther is presented with the impossible. And she rises to the occasion. Verse 16, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go in the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Amen. In her mind, she was leaping and nothing was going to be there. Yeah. It didn't matter. If I die, I die. There's a work. There's a commissioning. There's a thing that I must do. And if I die, I die doing the work of the Lord. But it didn't end that way. It didn't end that way. God, there's strength in doing the work. Performing the call. Performing the task. You will always gain strength. Luke 17, 12. As he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance. They met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he saw them and he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Do you hear what I said? They were not touched or healed. There was not strengthening in the moment. It wasn't until they obeyed the words of Jesus. Go and do this thing. The strengthening was in action, in the obedience. I just want to try to bring this thing to a close. One of the greatest obstacles to difficult works is just getting tired. You just become tired. God, I, I started my project with, I mean, I, 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 had, I was ready to take on the world. I, I was going to do it in a weekend. I meant it. I just grew tired. The pattern that God set before us in the creation was six days of work and then the completion and then the rest came afterwards. That's right. Men of God, don't ever rest until the work is completed. That is the standard. You're going to get tired. Your hands are going to hurt. But there is strength in the work. There is strengthening that will happen in doing the work of the Lord. In John 9, 9, Jesus declared, It is finished. As he was at the apex of his ministry, the Greek here, it basically reads, it is completely completed. He finished it. See, that is the pattern that we see in Jesus. He completed it. In John 14, 31, he says, I do exactly as the Father commanded. And see, those are the questions that I'm asking myself tonight. Have I done everything that he's told me to do? Have I completed everything that I've promised him? Have there been promises to my wife that are undone? Are there promises to my family that are undone? I'm just asking for a a right assessment tonight. Are there things unfinished in your life 
Oh, you know what? I don't know. Your, your whole city may be broken down. Your whole city may be desolate. And it's an easy assessment. It's a true assessment. It starts in repentance. But I think more, more, more of us than not, there's going to be areas. There's going to be lots of areas that are complete and look good. But there's going to be certain areas that people aren't privy to. There might be certain areas like my master bathroom that have been undone for too long. I made a promise to finish it. And I'm just telling you, those are the areas that God wants to revisit. Those are areas that God wants to strengthen. God wants you to strengthen your hands tonight and get back to the good work. Whatever it is that you've slacked off of. If there's areas in your family that you promised one time, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. And you've gotten tired. I want to be your Nehemiah tonight. And I want to, I want to rouse the men in this body. Men of Judah, rise. It is a shameful thing to leave the work of God unfinished in any area of your life. It is shameful to Him. And I'm not saying that. The only reason it's being said is because you just have to rightly assess. It's what it's going to take to fix this. My home was broken down too long, but my God, it's being built up. I'm just going to ask you if you have an incomplete work in, in your life tonight. Just, just get up here. Get up here and repent. Learn what it means to quit like a man. Dig inside. There's a, there's a grit that God has put there. There's a strength that you've not even noticed it. You hadn't maybe even used it in so long you didn't even know it was there. But I'm telling you, God has put it there. And you just got to dig down and strengthen those hands. Step out. Get back to work. That's the call tonight. God wants to revisit areas in your life that have become stalled out. Areas that were once full of life. Lots of activity. But over time become broken down God wants to fix that God wants to get you back He wants to rebuild the holy city tonight we've got work to do